0: Well, Merry Christmas! Help everybody. That was weak. You're supposed to respond. Merry Christmas! Christmas. Thank you. Those of you online again. We wish you a Merry Christmas, and so glad that you're joining us online. And uh, some of you that are in the house, and uh, we're honored to have you with us. Um, you know, just a couple notes of uh, uh, on the program next Sunday, the first. Uh, we'll have one service at 10 like tomorrow on the 25th Christmas. We have one service. Normally have two if you're a guest but we'll have one tomorrow at 10. So come early there'll be uh, some kind of breakfast here and we're going to do a real casual. The children are going to be in here with their pajamas. It's real laid back real casual so you know no no pressure to come Uh, we're glad to have you. My wife and I are going to share together so that'll be fun. We learned our lesson the hard way not to sing, but we do okay uh, speaking together, but we're not going to sing and ruin your Christmas. She sings well, but I throw her off uh, as we sing. But we're uh, looking forward to uh, the new year. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a year, amen? I mean, it's, it's been the last three months, feel like, several years. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a, uh, an experience, to say the least. Uh, our year-end giving, if you uh, give tonight in the boxes on the way out or give online... Uh, will go towards uh, not purchasing the food truck or even paying for it because it's paid for, but we'll go towards supplying it for our outreaches that will come. Uh, in the coming year, and so we'd love you to take part in that if you'd like, and uh, it's, uh, we're excited to see where the Sweeter Than Honey food truck ends up this year. Uh, we're getting a number of different invitations to bring it uh, and be a blessing in different places, so uh, we're looking forward uh, to doing that. All right, this evening you have the verse on your bookmark. Uh, tonight, but what I want to give you are the five verses before this one. Okay, this one—if you've been around church long or been to very many Christmas Eve services—this verse usually finds its way into Christmas. It's an incredible uh, verse: "For unto us a child is born, and a son is given." I mean, it's—it's it's a prophecy by Isaiah who wrote the the book of Isaiah. It's a prophecy, seven hundred fifty-eight hundred. Years before Christ was born, so it's an incredible verse about Jesus and four different names, and we're going to get to that. But I want to give you a little backstory that leads to the verse because it means a lot more. I've never studied the backstory; I've always just jumped in, used the verse because it's got plenty in it. You know, it's a, he's a wonderful counselor; he's a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's a Prince of Peace. If you can't find good stuff in that about Jesus and Christmas, then you better find something else to do. So, lots of good preaching in just that verse. But I, 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 I think for me, it's been really challenging to because the word for begins the verse for, but you don't know why that word for is there tell you understand one, two, three, four, and five. So we're going to go through those. If you want to, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Isaiah nine verse one. Now chapter eight of Isaiah ends in the most depressing negative gloom and doom that you could ever read. I mean, it literally says the last verse says the earth will see only distress, darkness, fearful gloom, and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. So chapter eight ends with this like, ah, I mean, it's just darkness, despair. So chapter 9 starts out, and verse 1, Isaiah says, nevertheless, now this is one of my favorite words. Uh, it's, uh, I guess it's three words. Uh, I don't know, though. I've never studied the background of, of it, but it's that yeah, this may be this way, but nevertheless. Life may look like this but never, It's a faith word. It's not a, let me just be happy and be positive and say good things are going to come. No, this is a faith word that says, yes, gloom and doom. Nevertheless, he says in verse 1, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Let me just, we'll we'll, we'll get to this in a second. But this is a, uh, the prophet just says, stop, enough, gloom and doom. In fact, there's, uh, he's going to tie this to verse 6. The reason why there's no more gloom and doom. We'll get to it in verse 6. But he says that in this area of Israel, you may not know the geography, but he's talking about the northernmost parts of Israel. He's talking about the area of the Sea of Galilee, which is my wife and I's favorite place in Israel is to go to, the, because it's so uh, non-religious. It's not like some places they have churches built on top of the sites, and the Sea of Galilee is just the Sea of Galilee. And right beside it is the what's called the the, uh, the Mount of Beatitudes, uh, beautiful. You can sit on that. My wife and I have a picture of us sitting on it, looking out over the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was a Christmas present to, uh, uh, to us that was taken. We didn't know, but we were just sitting on that mountain, looking at the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. But what does that ha- Have to do well. These were people that, in this context, were assaulted and attacked by foreign powers, and they were beaten, and as well as the rest of Israel, but they suffered more. But somehow, this no more gloom is tied to the Sea of Galilee, and in verse uh, two, he says, "The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light." has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. So he busts out into this good news. Light has come. Now, what is he talking about? He's giving us a vision of the future of the coming of the Messiah, and not just his birth, but actually these verses refer to Christ 30 years after his birth when he begins his ministry in the Sea of Galilee. Let me just put the scriptures up. This verse here we just read is found in Matthew's gospel after Christ is baptized and, and he's tested of the devil. Then all of a sudden he begins his ministry. Where does he begin it? Here at the Sea of Galilee. Look what it says in Matthew chapter four. Uh, we'll put that up on the screen there, and, uh, or I'll turn to it, and we'll, there we go. Uh, Matthew four says, "When Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Now verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went up and lived in Capernaum, which is a little town on the Sea of Galilee, and he was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. That's this where he's talking about in Isaiah hundreds of years earlier, he predicted that this would happen. And now verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, this this is the northern part of Israel, by the way of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, verse 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In other words, those that have been afraid of death, those who have been oppressed, there's, there's a, new, there's a, new, what did they see? Okay. Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Is near. So this light, it's not some esoteric, weird glow, it's good news. It's Jesus on the scene announcing that God has come in him and brought his kingdom, a kingdom of peace and joy. So Isaiah, all the way back hundreds of years earlier, prophesies that Jesus' ministry will begin in Galilee, and it'll begin as a great light. And it's followed, as we go back to Isaiah, and in verse uh, uh, verse 3, it's followed with this great joy. So you have no more gloom, you have a great light, you have joy to the world. And then the fourth thing is that you have this, again, stay with me, stay with me, in in verse uh, 4 it says for as in the day of midian midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke the burden that burdened them the bar across their shoulders and the rod of the oppressor now what is this well if you i never paid attention to this i just thought midian's defeat okay who cares who's midian his defeat what is it got? but if you if you do a little cross reference what he's speaking about is in the book of judges the midianites had oppressed israel for 7 years and god decided i'm going to beat these people but how does he do it well he picks this obscure guy who's in the the, the small he says gideon i'm going to use you to deliver and gideon's like me I come from the smallest tribe and the smallest family in the smallest tribe. And I'm the smallest dude in in my family. I'm a nobody. And you're going to use little Gideon. And God says, yep, going to use you. And so Gideon gets an army together. He's got 120,000 enemy soldiers marching against them from the Midianites. And God, he rallies like, I don't know, it's around 10,000. They're still, what, 10 to 1? 1, 10,000, 120,000, or whatever, somewhere in there. And God says, you got too many soldiers. He's like, what? We only got 10,000. they got 120,000 or more. God says, too many. And he sifts them. And it's a story you can read in Judges 7 where he gets rid of a bunch of them. They go home. They don't want to go to fight. They go. Now they got a smaller number, but he still has like 3,000. God says, no, still too many soldiers. Too many too many soldiers. Now we're down to 3,000 again. God says, no, let all, and then they do another, God does another little test. Before you know it, he has 300 people left. 300. God says, just the right amount. Now when you win, you'll know it was me, not you. And then God gives them this, we're going to talk about it in a minute, a wonderful counsel. God says, here's how you're going to win. I want you to get torches, put them in clay pots, take the 300 and surround them And then when they blow the trumpet, I want you to break the pots open. When they break open, what happens? A great light dawns on them except these are people of darkness. And when they see the light, hear the trumpet, and they cry out, for the Lord and for Gideon, the army turns on themselves. They end up killing themselves. They freak out in fear. And Gideon wins the day with 300 people, and God gets all the glory. Now, why would he, he tells this, because he's comparing the birth of Jesus to a god. because you say to me, Jamie, wait a minute, this is Christmas Eve. I came here to hear about baby Jesus. You're talking about some weirdo named Gideon and some weird story about lights in a pitcher, breaking the lights, and you just got through talking about Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. What's that got to do with baby Jesus? I want to hear about baby Jesus. I came to church to hear about baby Jesus. Well, you will, but stay with me because he's using all this as a backstory. And it's not done yet. So when he talks about defeating the Midianites, he breaks their yoke off their necks. And I love this verse in in, in verse 5. It says, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning with the fuel for the fire. So he's using this imagery of these enemies that have their blood splattered on them from Defeating Israel and oppressing them and 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 tormenting them. And can you just think of it in terms of maybe World War II when the Nazis are defeated and they take their weapons and their uniforms and their swastikas and they they burn them in destruction of saying, never again will you oppress the the, the people like you did. It's this not just victory, but it's this total defeat. Of the enemy. Now, how does that happen? How does verse one no more gloom? You know, it's it's not like the 70s when, or the late 60s when we said peace. We had no basis for peace. It was just a hey, peace, brother, peace. Peace meant take some LSD, windowpane, blotter acid, smoke some whatever, and take some of this. And peace was, was a fall. It was There was no substance. How do we get to no more gloom? How do we get to a great light has dawned? How do we get to joy to the world? How do we get to the defeat of our enemies and the destruction? Now, verse 6 says, 4. Look at it with me. Look at your card if you want. For in other words, what's that what what it for? In other words, this is how the victory happens is the birth of a new king. This prophecy of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, is the reason. No more gloom. You can't just tell people, hey, chill out. You ever been upset and someone says tells you to chill out? Does that ever work? I've had I used to tell my staff because they'd see me upset about something. They'd say, Jamie, just calm down. No, you never tell me. You could almost lose your job here telling me to calm down. It just, it doesn't help me. What they learn to say is, Jamie, is there anything I can do to help? Yeah. You didn't do this. We forgot to do that. That needs to be taken care of. These are the things that keep me up at night. Let's work on this right now. Boom. Now we have a plan. But just telling someone to calm down. It doesn't work. You know, I I tease a lot. I like the movie Anger Management because the guy looks at him on the plane. He says, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to calm down. He wasn't doing anything, but he tells him to calm down. The more he tells him to calm down, the more angry he gets and he ends up getting thrown off the plane as Jack Nicholson only could. And so calming down, there's no basis, no more gloom based on what, what are you going to say that about? You're going to say that there's a light breaking what's that? What is that? You're going to say that the enemies are defeated and there's joy based on what? Verse 6 is the answer or the reason why deliverance is coming. It's the reason why the oppressor is defeated. It's the reason why the light has broken into darkness. It's the reason why the enemy's armor and weapons are going to be burned up. It's the reason why no more gloom. It's not just joy to the world because I'm happy. It's joy to the world because the new king who has four names in this verse in one. It's Jesus, we know. But I want you to look at this verse with me just for a minute with that background in mind. Does that, does that, I don't know that that helped, but it, it fascinates me because if you just read the verse, for unto us a child is born. Okay, that's, that's looking forward to where we, but it gives no, no, no anchor to why he came, what he's going to accomplish. So verse six, for unto us, a child is born and a son is given. Speaking of, obviously the of the birth the, of the Lord Jesus Christ on Christmas, the, the son of God who came for God so loved the world that he gave the grace gift of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given. And I love this next line. And the government will be on your shoulders. Figure it out. Does it it say that there? The government will be where? On his shoulder. Remember earlier in in, in verse uh, 4 and 5, he talked about breaking the yoke the burden off their shoulders. Do you know how many of us are carrying things that God never meant for you to carry? He never meant for you to run your own life. That's what we're going to see in a minute. He's a wonderful counselor. He never meant for you to fight all your own battles. He never meant for you to, to do life in, in your own weight. I'll never forget. I called my mom and having a baby, baby, little, little baby that, uh, and I'm married on top of it and having, I'm like, Oh my God, this is a lot. I mean, getting married is a lot. Having a little baby too is, is a lot. And that little baby grew up and led us in worship tonight. But anyway, we, uh, we were having, I'm having this stress attack and I call my mother expecting sympathy of, you know, and all she said to me, she said, you've got big shoulders, you'll be able to handle it. And if you knew my mom, practical, but she was a uh, uh, you know just a John Wayne kind of mom, she 's not going to coddle you and uh, you just kind of you know, put your big boy pants on and you 're going to be fine you've got big shoulders. What, what I wanted to tell mom was is that my shoulders are shrinking, Mom. And the more pressure I get, the more I realize I can't do this on my own. I need help. I need, for unto us, a child is born and a son is given. I need to learn that the government is on his shoulders. How many of you tonight walked in here carrying the weight of something that needs to be on his shoulders? You know, we have our responsibilities. We can't shirk that by saying, well, God will make it happen, but you're never to take His responsibility. When you take His weight, the burden of ruling, when you take the responsibility for your future and your life and your children and your grandchildren, and you will overwhelm. But the good news is for unto us a child is born the king, the new king. And he's going to carry the government. Now, four names all in one. These are all unpacking who Jesus is. And it says, we will call him. Now, this is, this is the, 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 the proclamation of Christians. In other words, it's like in interviewing Christians and saying, what has Jesus been in your life? Well, the first thing you're going to hear often in, 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 the, in verse 6 is, he's a wonderful counselor. In other words, he, he, he leads me. He's my shepherd. He, got, he gives me advice, wisdom, direction, teaching. I can't tell you. I would never be standing here tonight. I would have never survived if I had not learned to listen to the Lord's wisdom, advice. How do you do that? Well, you've got to first know enough that you don't know so that you stop long enough and say, Jesus especially when you've broken things and it's a mess, that's usually when we ask God for help and advice. Wise people learn to ask him ahead of time and say, Lord, how do I handle this situation? God's wisdom is wonderful. Jesus came on the scene and he taught people the wisdom of God in ways that was accessible. It wasn't some obscure, weird, you know, stuff. It was just simple, like like on my way, to, I had to go pick up food for tomorrow for our family coming together. And some guy almost, I mean, I pulled up, he had plenty of room, typical Christmas Eve guy on a mission to run people over. I don't know what his mission was. I hope he wasn't coming to the vineyard to the church. He'd have been a little early. But, uh, so he just gets on my rear, you know, and gives me the finger. And, the whole, you know, I'm just thinking, joy to the world. Wow. That's not how I responded. Now, I didn't flick him off. That was a victory. Um, but I, I just thought, you know, and I, I'm all anxious. And, I'm a, and I just felt the Lord, the wonderful counsel. He just said, son, you, you've got to relax. Give it to me. Don't let it rob your Christmas. You're going to go get your bride. And I want you to enjoy the night together. Now, that was wonderful counsel. I could tell you that over and over and over. And you receive the same thing if you give God your ear. Jesus came. We can say no more gloom because God's going to speak to us and say, I've got this. Trust me. Here's the way out. If you ever feel like, I don't know the way forward or the way out or the way, God, if you stop, say, Lord, I need your counsel. I need your wisdom. I need your advice. And it's not always easy. It's clear, but it's not always easy what God will tell you to do. Sometimes God will say, I want you to humble yourself and tell this person you're sorry and ask for forgiveness. That's painful. It's simple. It's clear. It's wonderful because it leads to the joy that he's talking about. The second name, is not only is he a wonderful counselor, In other words, he's never going to lead you into something that's destructive. The second thing, though, he calls him the mighty God. Now, this is a a challenge for people that don't understand the deity of Christ, that he was a human, a child unto us. A child is born, but that child has God inside of him that we learned a couple weeks ago, you shall call in chapter 7 of this same book, you will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means with us. El means God. The word El is used again. It's used in different ways in the Bible for the names of God. There's El Shaddai, the Almighty. I mean, but in this verse, he calls Jesus El Gibbor, El Gabor. It means the word Gabor means a warrior, a soldier, brave, valiant, a hero. He calls him the hero God, the warrior God. It, it just This is the Jesus that, that most people don't get a concept of. He's the Jesus you bring to the fight with you. He's the Jesus that doesn't look. When he stood up to the devil, when he was tempted in the Gospel of Matthew, when he stood up to him and he stood up as El Gabor. Now he didn't fight with the weapons of this world. He fought with the power of love. He fought with the wisdom and the humility that the father gave him. I love the name El Gabor. I mean, when I, when I need help, and, you know, when I think of this verse kind of like one of my favorite gifts for Christmas, I couldn't wait to get it. I had to be, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old. Maybe it was too young to give a knife to. I don't know. But they had just, I don't know if they'd just come out with them, but somebody was marketing them in a Swiss Army knife I'd heard about. Now, so any of you ever, as a kid, get a Swiss Army knife? I mean, there, do you, gals, probably not many girls got a Swiss Army. Maybe you did, but this thing has like like 20 different features in one little knife. I mean it had scissors what knife has scissors in it it had a saw blade it had a can opener it had two cutting knives it had a a a a a, a spike that you could punch holes in things with i mean it just it had so many it was like wow i can do anything i i thought I was macgyver before macgyver ever came along the, the scene i mean i just all i need is my swiss army knife i think of this verse as like God's Swiss army knife. It's like, what blade do you need? Do you need wise counsel? Or do you need bad to the bone? El Gabor going to show up and fight for your family, fight for your loved ones and the battle that's overwhelming you. I need, or you need the third one, the everlasting father. I mean, Jesus came to teach us about the Father. One of the things I love about calling him the everlasting, my dad died when I was 29 years old. I was so upset at him for dying. No kid wants your dad to die. I mean, it's like, Dad, you went and died on me. I'm going to need you. I need to call you. I need to talk to you. Many of you have been through the loss of your dad. And it's, it's a painful deal. Or maybe your dad abandoned you. Or, or maybe your dad was, was just neglectful and, and abusive. But this dad, this father that Jesus is will never leave you and never forsake. He's not going to die. I'm not going to get a call, hey, your dad died. No, he, he, he's the eternal father. It gives me the confidence when I think of opening that knife. What do I need when I need a father? I need protection. I need comfort, encouragement. I need him to hold my hand. I just, there's nothing I, 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 I think more of is the times when my dad and I walked hand in hand. And it wasn't often. It was when I was real young. But there's something about the strength of his hand and my hand. When I think of the eternal father. He's never going to die on me. He's never going to get tired of me. He's never going to trade me in for another kid. He's not going to, he's forever. My father, Jesus came to reveal that. What a dad. You need that? Call on him. Jesus says, and you will call his, call. You need wonderful, wonderful, call on him. You need El Gabor, the mighty, call on him. You need the dad, that's presence wrap his arms around you, comfort you, encourage you, protect you, provide for you, call on him. And then the last one, he says, you shall call him the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Now, when you say prince of peace, you think the Lord's not doing a very good job being a prince of peace. I mean, ever since Jesus came, there's been more wars and more religious battles and, and division in, in the countries. And you've got Yugoslavians uh, just being bombed and, and, and frozen, uh, uh, no heat. And, and, and Ukraine, I said Yugoslavian, I'm sorry, Ukrainians. And Ukraine, you've you got turmoil all around the world. You've got turmoil at home and, and all kinds. of Where's the peace, Jesus? See, that's where the, the, the people of the day when Christ was born, they wanted these verses about the destruction of the, 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 the yoke on their back and the burning of the boots and the, the, the great light and the, the no more glue. They wanted that to apply to driving out all their, their physical enemies. They wanted the king to come and rid them of that kind of oppression. It's kind of like people that want Jesus to solve all their problems in their marriage or problems, which is fine, but they don't want Jesus to change them. And the peace that Christ came to bring first is an internal peace. It's not about stopping all the, yet it'll get there. There'll come a time, Isaiah talks about it earlier in chapter 2, he says there'll come a time when God will cause the, 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 the swords to be turned into plowshares for their, their farm equipment. There'll be no more uh, wars and no more fighting. And that day's not here. And, and we long for that day. But the Prince of Peace is already come. And when Jesus stepped into my life as a teenager full of turmoil. I was full of gloom and doom. I was the end of chapter 8, utter darkness. And for him to come into my life and for me to be able to say no more gloom. I'm not under condemnation anymore, shame. I'm not under the darkness of deception and the lies of the enemy. Jesus comes to bring his kingdom inside of us and where he rules there's peace. It's a fruit, uh, a manifestation that he's present. If, if you're full of anxiety and fear and anger and vengeance and, and, and uh, you're not letting the prince rule because when he rules there's peace. Now it may not be peace around you, it may not be peace in areas in the world that you'd like to see it, but when he comes to live in us there's peace. So the word for at the beginning of this verse ties us to the promises leading up that there's going to be a great light. That's what happens when Jesus steps in. He brings truth. He brings the good news, which is like Gideon breaking that pitcher, and the light shine and the darkness flees. He brings joy when he comes in for unto us. It's because of the king, the new king, the birth of Jesus. Because of the coming of Jesus, those things can be true in our lives and in our world. He is the prince of peace. He came to bring peace with us and God. It doesn't matter how chill you are. There's a lot of people in the world that are chill. They just, now, nah, nothing's not, not don't bother them. That doesn't mean they're at peace with God. And if you're not at peace with God, it doesn't matter how chill you are. You might be chilling on all kinds of things, but you're not in a great place with God. Jesus came first to establish us in a, so he can be Papa. He can be daddy. He can be our heavenly father. He can be my wonderful counselor. And he can be El Gabor, the mighty warrior that defends and protects us. That is a peace that Last, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of Ian, even in the midst of a category five hurricane that sweeps through, how can we find peace? You can't unless you look to the prince whose kingdom brings peace. Amen? Let's pray together. Take a minute here and just uh, think about. What what part of this this name would help you right now? Do you need wise counsel? Do you need direction? Do you need the strength of the mighty God El Gabor? Do you need the the love of a father, or do you need the peace of the Prince? But whatever that might be, until He's your Prince, until He's your father until he's your counselor and mighty God. You say, what do I do, Jamie? Well, it's a surrender. He's the king and we surrender to him and say, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. He says you right where you're seated. This isn't about go answer all the questions that you've ever had or, or change all the things in your life you want to change. It becomes his job. The government's on his shoulders. You are part of that when you put your life in his hands. So for unto us a child is born. Christ came. For unto us a son is given. It's up to us to say yes to him as our Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, just do it right where you're seated. Just whisper, say, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. And he'll bring his peace. He'll bring his wonderful counsel, his strength as mighty God, and his love as the everlasting Father. Lord, would you bless those that need to take a stand of faith uh, today so there'll be no more gloom. Lord, that you'll be joy in their lives, Lord, of being forgiven and knowing they belong to you. Lord, bless this time as we commend ourselves to you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.